Hey, welcome to the Central Westland Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for downloading and thank you for listening. We hope that today you find God's Word to be encouraging, challenging, and inspiring your life today. We would love to connect with you through our Facebook page and Instagram page. All you got to do is look on Facebook or Instagram and search for Central Westland Church. Please know that we love you, we're praying for you, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. two kids. I have an eight-year-old son named TJ. Um, You've seen him running around here a lot. And I have a two-year-old little girl named Anna Lee who we are currently potty training. And it's going halfway decent, but not the best it could be, okay? Um, I got a text from Callie a couple weeks ago. Um, I don't remember the exact text, so I can't quote it, but paraphrase something like this. Michael, this is ridiculous. We've been sat, sitting on the potty three different times for 20 or 30 minutes at a time. She's saying she's got to pee. She's saying she's got to poop. Sometimes she does. Most of the time she does not. I'm sitting in the bathroom right now. I said, you're doing a good job. You want a drink from the store or something? Because I was not home. She was taking care of all this. Um, potty training TJ was fairly easy. It was not terrible at all. Um, with Anna Lee, it's been different than potty training TJ. Um, but she has not been terrible. She just takes forever. And she got to go all the time. And half the time she don't go. We just sit there. And it tends to always happen at nighttime around 8 o'clock when it's bedtime. She'll say, I got a poo-poo. And so we'll take her to the bathroom 20 minutes later, she has not poo-pooed, but you say, Annalie, you ready to go to bed? She'll say, I got a poo-poo, and we're like, no, you don't, kid. We're not dumb. I know you think we're dumb, but we're not that dumb. Um, Over the past eight years with TJ and the past three with Annalie, almost three, two and a half with Annalie, um, here's what I can tell you about parenting. Um, Tell you a lot, actually, but what I want to share with you this morning is over time, over years, parents build fences, right? When Annalie, we first brought Annalie home, we first brought TJ home as a newborn baby, we built a very, very small fence around the baby. Like you don't let just anybody get that close to your baby. I remember the first time we brought TJ home, we sat the uh, car seat down in the house. We had two dogs, and we let the dogs go walk over and smell of TJ. We let TJ smell of the dogs because that's how they communicate. That's still how they communicate today. Uh, the dogs still smell TJ, and he'll still smell the dogs. Um, and we had a small fence. Like, not just anybody was going to get close to the baby, right? As he gets older over the past eight years, the fence gets bigger. Does that make sense? He's able to do more stuff inside of his fence without me or mom or without anybody else helping him so his fence gets bigger. As he grows up physically and as he matures um, uh, physically, his fence grows bigger. There was a time where we would don't leave him alone where we're in his fence with him. Now he can spend some time by himself. He can almost take care of himself except do like mess with the oven and the stove. Everything else he can do, right? He can pick out his own clothes. 
He can put his own clothes on. They may not be matching colors, but they do fit, and he can get them on. The shirt may be inside out on occasions, but he can pick them out and put them on. He can use the bathroom by himself. He can watch TV by himself. He can heat up macaroni and cheese in those little cups in the microwave by himself. He's pretty much self-sufficient, except for being able to drive a car which he thinks he can do because we've let him drive a golf cart on occasion. So he feels like he can drive a car, no problem. Um, but over the years, as he's grown up and matured, his fence gets bigger and he can do more stuff inside of his fence. Does that make sense? That's a good thing, right, Mom and Dad? That's a good thing. Now listen, I get that the last time they hold your hand walking up the steps is a sad time, right? The last time you pick them up, I had a realization with TJ, there's going to be a very last time that I hold him. Like, I'm not holding him now. He's close to 90 pounds. I'm not holding that joker anymore. Like, those days are long gone. I got a bad back. He's got a big body. I'm not holding him anymore, right? Though, so there's things like that, that as they grow up physically, that kind of makes us sad. But those are good things. When we can... As we grow, when our kids grow, and ourselves, uh, when we were kids, as we grow and mature in our physical life, we take care of ourselves, we handle our responsibilities, is a good thing. Right? That is true. However, that could be a problem in our spiritual life. You may be thinking, what are you talking about, Michael? Here's what I'm talking about. The world teaches us to look after number one, take care of number one, get, take care of yourself, be responsible for yourself. You can do it. You're responsible for yourself. You're responsible for your happiness. You're responsible for your success. It's all on you, you, you. The Bible teaches something completely different, right? The Bible teaches us to rely on to depend on the help of God, the help of God in heaven, the help of His power in His Word. The world teaches us to take care of ourselves, look out for numero uno, look out for me and mine, and that's it. The Bible teaches something completely different. So while in our physical life it's good for us to grow and, um, and mature and take care of our responsibilities, in our spiritual life, that's not necessarily a good thing. Because here's what happens. Here's what tends to happen. We start to believe that we can do God's job for Him. We start to believe that we don't need His help. We start to believe that I can do it. I can take care of myself. I've taken care of myself physically for X number of years. I can do it spiritually as well. And we see that played out here in Genesis chapter 16. We're going to look at in about... A minute and a half, two minutes, but before we do, let me give you some background on what you find in Genesis chapter 16. You'll find this is about the life and the story of a man named Abraham. At this point in time, he was called Abram. And what you see in Genesis 12 is that God called Abram to leave his house and to follow him into an unknown land. Abraham obeyed. 
He packed up his stuff. He packed up his wife, Sarah. They left their house. They fo- he followed God into an unknown land. Once you get to Genesis chapter 15, you see God make a promise to Abraham. You're going to be a father of many nations. You're going to be a father that's going to, through your, uh, through your seed, through your bloodline, you will be a blessing to the whole world. You'll be a blessing to many people. Then you get to Genesis chapter 16, and what we have is an 85-year-old Abraham with an older wife, with an old wife, well past the age of being able to have kids. And you see that Abraham and Sarah kind of do the same thing that we do on occasions when they try to do God's job for them. Where they think God is moving in slow motion, or maybe God has forgotten about the promise that he gave them, and they try to do for them what God couldn't do for them, and that is to have a baby. And that's what we're going to pick up here in Genesis chapter 16, says this. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, was born with no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. By the way, that's a great baby name, Hagar. Right? That's not? Okay. Don't. Trent, you like it. It's not bad. Not the worst name ever. Could be worse. Okay, keep reading. Verse 2. So Sarah said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Now who gave Abraham the promise? And who did Sarah, who is Sarah blaming here for not having kids? The Lord. Keep reading. So Sarah said to Abraham, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go in my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to her voice, to the voice of Sarah. Stop, boys, fellas, husbands, listen to me. Nine times out of ten, I tell you to listen. You listen to the wife. You do what she says. She knows what she's talking about. However, there is on occasions where she'll get you in trouble. Right, fellas? Good boys, nobody said a word. Good job, good job, good job. Keep reading. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. Verse 3. After Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarah took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. So what we see there is Abraham and uh, Sarah basically getting ahead of God, trying to do God's job for him. I want to tell you a few things this morning. I want to share with you and encourage you a few, with a few things this morning on what to do and what not to do when it seems like God is moving in slow motion. You ever been there? You ever felt led by God for A, B, or C, but A, B, or C hadn't got there yet? Like you followed the word, you followed your heart, you followed where you really felt God was leading, you trusted his word, but man, it's taken forever to get here. That's what we see here in um, Genesis chapter 16 with Abraham and um, with Abraham and Sarah. I got five things for you this morning. The good news about a five-point sermon is they're all short points. So five points for you this morning on what 
causes us to get ahead of God. And then one thing on what we should do when God calls us to move. So number one, what causes us to believe that uh, we can do God's job for him? Number one, our sin nature leads us to believe that we can do God's job for him. Our sin nature leads us to believe that we don't need God's help. Our sin nature leads us to believe that he can't do for us what we need to have done for us. Our sin nature, the sin inside of us, who we are as people, our hearts, our minds, is what leads us to the thought that I can do what God can't do for me. We see this in in our world all the time. We see it all the time. Uh, We hear things like, um, I don't have to read the word to go to heaven. We hear things like, I can, I'm a good person, I'm going to heaven. We see things like, I can do it on my own. I don't need any outside help. I don't need any extra effort. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty smart. I'm pretty wise. I'm pretty strong. I've seen some things. I've been some places. I can do it on my own. Can I tell you this? This thought, this mindset is what I believe to be the leading cause of the decline of attendance in the United States church is because of this. It's the thought that I can do it on my own. I don't need any help. It's the enemy making you believe that you're good. It's the enemy making you believe that you're strong, that you're smart. You don't need the church's help. You don't need the word. You don't need the encouragement. You don't need the prayers. Your own. Your, now listen, here's the deal. The church has a lot of problems. And a lot of the problems the church calls on its own. This one, however, is a lie from the enemy that we have and many, many others have believed. For people not to understand the necessity the necessity of the word and the power of the word in their life is deception from the enemy. For people not to understand the necessity of needing, of craving the encouragement, the love, the acceptance, the prayers from other people. Can I be honest with you today? I need your prayers more than I need anything else in mo- more than anything else that you can offer me. Now, if you want to cook me a chicken pie, I'm all for it. Okay, chocolate cake, I'll take it all. I really like that, but I need the prayers. And so do you. And so do the people who aren't here. So do the people that used to come but don't come anymore. So do the people that's never stepped foot into a church their whole life. They don't realize it. You may not realize it. I don't realize it at times. The necessity of your relationship, the necessity of your encouragement to me, the necessity of your prayers for me, the necessity of hearing the word, the necessity of sharing together in worship, the necessity of a hug, the necessity of a high five. I need you in my life today. And believe it or not, you need me and you need the people beside of you but the enemy will get you to believe nah you're good you're good just hang out you don't need the church you're too smart for the church you don't need the church number two the second thing that leads us to believe we can do God's job is when we believe that God holds out on us when we believe that God doesn't 
give us fully what he promised to give us. This was the great deception that uh, the enemy that Satan tempted Eve with. Remember, he told her, the, Satan, um, the enemy Satan told Eve, um, if you eat this fruit, God, you will become like God. Um, meaning that God doesn't want you to be like him. God doesn't want you to be powerful. God doesn't want you to be um, all-knowing. God's holding out on you. God's got more to offer, more to give that he's not giving you. And the enemy does that exact same thing today to you and me. Sadly, it's easy to, for us to believe that when God moves in slow motion, it's easy to believe that God's not going to move. That God's holding out. That God forgot about you. That God never, that God's not powerful enough to do what you think he said he was powerful enough to do. Can I tell you what the word says really quickly here this morning? The word says in 1 Peter that we have received everything that we need to live a godly life. You know what the word everything means? Everything. You've received everything you need to live a godly life. Here's what I believe about this thought this morning, and I'm not sure I'm 100% correct, but I feel like I am. So maybe I shouldn't share it, but I'm going to share it anyway. If you disagree, let me know afterwards. We'll talk about it. I'll tell you what I think. You tell me what you think, and then I'll go buy you lunch because I love you. Amen? Here's what I think. We have received fully God's love this morning. God loves you just as much as he does Billy Graham, right? Like, we have received full portion of God's love this morning. We also have the ability to receive a full portion of God's forgiveness this morning. God loved, God forgives. Anything after that is an extra blessing. Anything after that is an extra blessing. If I walk out of these doors today fully loved, fully forgiven, but I have no food in my refrigerator, I'm in good shape. If I walk out of these doors today fully loved by God, fully forgiven by God, but I don't have a house to go to, I'm in good shape. Because I have received in fullness what I need the most, which is what needs to be done on the inside of me, not what needs to be done on the outside. But the good thing about God today, the good thing about God is that God provides those other things as well. Amen? Not only does God give you what you need spiritually, but he does it physically as well. So don't believe the lie that God in heaven is holding out on you. God's available. He's there. He's willing. He'll listen. He'll talk. He'll give. He'll hug. He'll cry. He'll forgive. He'll heal. He is with you today. Number three, third thing that can make us believe that we can do God's job for him. I forgot, it just bounced out of my mind, y'all. Gosh. Oh, yes, got it. Just remembered. When we believe that life is not fair, we try to do God's job for him. We try to fill in the gap. When life's not fair... When bad stuff happens to good people, that can't be from God. Life's not fair. So we got to pick up God's slack. Can I give you a life tip? Life's not fair. 
It's not. Jesus says in Matthew 5, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Life's not fair. Can I give you another life tip? It's a good thing that life's not fair. It's a good thing that God's not fair. Do you know what today you would have, what you would be receiving, what you would be in line for if you got what you deserved? You ever thought about that? You take forgiveness out of the equation. You take grace and mercy out of the equation. Think about what you deserve. Being born in a sinful world, separated from God, with no hope, with no forgiveness, with no grace, and no mercy. The Word teaches that you and I today deserve death, deserve punishment, deserve separation from God. But God's not fair. God gives you what you don't deserve while giving his son Jesus what we deserved. Amen? That's the story of Easter. That's why we celebrate Easter. It's because God gave you and I all the credit for everything that Jesus did, did right and gave Jesus all the blame for everything that you and I do wrong. Is life fair? No. And it's a good thing that we don't get what we deserve today. So the enemy will try to get you to believe that life's not fair. God doesn't love you. God forgot about you. God can't do what he said he would do. If God really loved you, then bad things wouldn't happen. No, 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 no. The evidence of God's love in my life is that life's not fair. Is that a sinner like me? that says the things that I've said, been to the places I've been, thought the thoughts that I've thought, done the things that I've done, if I die today because of the blood of Jesus, I'm going to heaven. That's not fair. And I'm okay with it. Amen? I'm okay with God not being fair and life not being fair. Number four. Number four. This is a big one. This is a really big one. This is a really, really big one. This is the one thing that can infect all aspects of your life. It's the one thing that will tear down your faith quicker than anything else. And that is the word pride. Pride. Pride will make you believe that you can do God's job for him. When God's timing doesn't work out with your timing, it's easy for us to think, well, I don't need him. I gave it a shot. It didn't work out. I can do it myself. Can I tell you today, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that will tear down your faith more than pride. This was uh, Satan. Again, we see this is Satan's temptation to Eve. To, uh, you, uh, God doesn't want you to become like him, meaning that you're much better than what you think you really are. You can do God's job. You don't have to wait around for God. You don't have to wait around for him, for his timing, for his timetable. No, 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 no. You do it for him. There is nothing that will tear down your relationship with the Lord today quicker than you believing you are better than what you really are. Can I give you some advice that was given to me years ago? I don't remember who told me, but I remember exactly what they said. They said these words. 
you're never as good as they say you are, and you're also never as bad as they say you are. And if I can be honest with you, in this line of work, in this job, in this responsibility that I have, it's really easy to listen to the good words and the bad words. Most of you, my man Hubbard tells me every Sunday afternoon, you did good today. Even the Sundays I don't preach, he tells me, you did good today. I think one time he said, this was one of your best ones yet, was the Sunday that I did not preach. I said, Hubbard, thank you, buddy. Your encouragement moves my life. In our job, you want, you want a high five? In this job, in this line of work, I hear a lot of good from people, and then I hear whispers of a lot of bad. Here's the deal. It's easy, it could be really easy for me to let that good sink into my heart and sink into my mind and let that, as Paul calls it, to puff me up with pride and to think, man, listen, if God can't do it, I've done pretty good myself. Maybe I can get the job done. You look at, read the first few chapters, or the first chapters before Genesis 16, or when Genesis, uh, when Genesis, when God started talking to Abraham and called him from his house in Genesis 12, from Genesis 12 to Genesis 16, we see that, that, um, Uh, Abraham had a lot of victories. He followed God. God took care of him. He prospered in Egypt. He was able to flee Egypt when things got a little dicey. God protected him and his wife. Um, We see that God led him. He followed, and then God called him to be a dad. He waited. He was waiting and waiting and waiting. Could it be possible that all those victories that Abraham received in Genesis 12 through Genesis 16, could it be possible today that those things, those good things in his life, those victories that God provided, he misinterpreted for victories that he won on his own? I think it could be because we see it today as well. We'll get ourselves in a great deal of trouble when we start to believe the lie from the enemy that you're just as good as God, that you can do for yourself what God can do for you. And finally, number five, number five, what time is it? Oh, God, this is perfect. We're going to be done. We're going to be out of here by five till, I promise, or five after, I promise. Number five, sometimes we just get tired of waiting on the Lord, right? talked about God moving in slow motion sometimes he moves too slow and we want to speed the process up sometimes he our timetable doesn't match up with his timetable Abraham and Sarah Sarah may be more than Abraham here in Genesis chapter 16 we see her getting frustrated with God's timetable because her timetable didn't match up with God's timetable and God was moving kind of slow and she got tired of waiting. Today, we are not real patient people. Let me rephrase. I'm not a real patient person. I've gotten better over the years, right? Thank you. Win, victory. I've gotten better, but I'm not the best when it comes to waiting around for something to happen. Um, A lot of it is temperament led, right? It's kind of who we are on the inside. 
um, which is why it's important to know who you're marrying before you get married and to know your kids when you have kids because they'll have their own temperament and they may not be the same. And while your boyfriend may be patient at the restaurant, five years later, you may see your husband's not patient at the restaurant and you need to know that on the front end before you get five years in. Amen? Premarital counseling advice right there. Back to the word. Sometimes we get tired of waiting on God. Why does God take so long? A couple of reasons. Number one, he knows what's best for us better than what we know what's best for us. Right? We have to trust that, as Isaiah says, his ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. And he can see the end from the beginning where we only see what's right in front of us. We've got to trust that his timetable for us is much better than our timetable for us. Because remember, he is God and we're not. That's the whole pride issue that we just talked about. So why was God waiting here in Genesis 16? Why is God waiting so long? We see Abraham is 85 years old in Genesis 16. His wife is well past the age of having kids. Did you know that at this time, there were still men having kids, producing kids at 85 years old and older? Not this one. I ain't doing it. I ain't having another one putting my foot down Genesis chapter 16 there were older men at 85 older than 85 able to have kids is it possible today that God is waiting so he can do the work and not Abraham there's a reason that a miracle is called a miracle it's because it's outside of your ability to do it he was still within Abraham's ability to do it in Genesis 16. He was still in his ability to produce children in Genesis 16. God may have well have been waiting for the exact moment that Abraham's power is taken off so God's power can be shown in the situation. We see this in the New Testament in John chapter 11 with the death of Jesus' friend Lazarus. Remember the story? John chapter 11, Jesus got word that Lazarus died. He waited three, four days before he went to Bethany to see Lazarus. The disciples told him, said, why are we going now? He's dead. You remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, it's for your sake that I waited. It's for your sake, the disciples, it's for your sake that we waited four days to go so that you may believe. Could it be possible that Jesus let Lazarus be dead, lie in the grave for not one, not two, not three, but four days just so the miracle that he was getting ready to perform would be greater for the disciples so that they may believe. Is it possible here in Genesis 16 that God's waiting and waiting and waiting and moving in slow motion so that Abraham's power is taken off and God can show his power in Abraham's life? Is it possible today the one thing that you've been praying for and praying for and praying for for weeks and months and maybe years and you're begging God to do a work in? Is it possible that God's not 
not withholding his power, but God's letting the miracle cook until it's the perfect time for him to do the work when nobody else can do it. Can I encourage you today? When God is moving in slow motion, we don't we don't respond with pride. We don't respond with thinking that God's holding out on us. We don't respond with being slow and waiting. We don't respond with being bored. We respond with submission to the power of God Almighty. We respond with trusting in the power of God Almighty that his ways are better than yours. You may not understand it. It may not make sense. It didn't make sense to Abraham because he had to wait another 15 years before that baby came. Talk about God moving in slow motion. That's slow motion. But could it be possible that God is waiting to get you where you need to be before he produces that miracle in your life? Maybe you still have ability Maybe you still have your hand on it. Maybe you still have power over it. And God's waiting for that desperation. God's waiting for that one moment. God's waiting for that time that he can show his full power in your life. And he can do something for you in your life that you can't do on your own, that you can't take credit for, and all glory and honor and praise will be his. Because he does it for us. Is it possible? Yeah. Is it easy to wait out? No. No. But it is possible. I teach TJ all the time. He'll say, Dad, this is hard. I say, yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, it's hard, buddy. But we can do hard stuff. Dad, this is taking too long. Yeah, buddy, I know it is but we can do hard stuff. And I believe the principle is true for you and I today. Is it hard to trust? Yeah. Is God moving in slow motion? Maybe. But we have to believe there's a purpose and a timing for God's power to be shown and to do a work in our lives today. Can I encourage you, don't get ahead of God. Don't try to do his job for him. Trust him, trust his power, trust his word, trust his timing, and let him do for you what only he can do for you. Amen? Let's stand together.